Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. And as always, joined by the lovely Shelly Billinghurst. Shelly, how's it going? Great, Serge. Great. We've got a really fascinating guest joining us today. Something that I know our listeners are absolutely going to love. Yes, Shelly, I have the pleasure of introducing Colin Yasukuchi, the Executive Director with the CBRE Tech Insights Center. Welcome to the show, Colin. Thanks, Shelly. Thanks, Serge. It's great to be here with you. And joining us from the beautiful city of San Francisco. Is that right? I am indeed. And we're having a warm one here, which is unusual for us during the summer, but it's a nice change. For our audience, Colin, I'd like to give you the floor. Share with us a little bit of bio on yourself and then also a bit about CBRE. Yeah, sure. I'm Colin. I was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii, and moved to San Francisco in 2000 to take on the tech world right at the peak of the dot-com boom, which quickly turned into a bust. But that gave me a lot of time to reflect and really learn about the tech industry's booms and busts. So that was a lot of fun. And I've been studying the tech industry and how it impacts the commercial real estate market ever since that time. And I've been with CBRE now for a little over 10 years. We're a commercial real estate company. And one of the questions that we have been receiving, I would say, you know, probably for about a decade, which is how long we've been doing this tech talent report is how do I go about identifying and finding the best quality tech talent that I can to help grow my business, to help innovate, and to really develop the best products and services. That's something that we started on because traditionally employers were looking for where do I find the right labor force and how do I save money? But the tech industry has a very different perspective. They're looking at how do I innovate? How do I find the best Mm. available talent? And also, what is the trade-off between quality and cost? And so those are some of the things that we cover in the uh, Scoring Tech Talent Report. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because the main reason we wanted to bring you on is to talk about the annual Scoring Tech Talent Report. There's a lot of key data in there. Tell us a little bit more about the background of why you decided to do this type of report. And then let's dig in a little bit of the key findings. Great. Yeah. The reason we did this report was in response to what our clients were asking us. Is like, What do you know about tech talent? How can you help us better understand that? And how can you do that in a very quantitative way so that we can compare across all markets? But before I sort of get into some of the key findings that we had in our 2022 report, I always feel it's important to talk about what tech talent really is, because Mm -hmm. most of the time people think of, well, tech talent, that's people who work for tech companies. But this particular report is focused on those who actually perform tech functions. And they do that across all industries. So the tech industry may employ about 40% of the total tech talent across North America. But what that means is that 60% of tech talent work for other companies. They work for banks. They work for Mm -hmm. healthcare companies. They work for manufacturers, energy companies, you name it. It's across the board. And every employer is getting more and more tech these days. And so this information really helps employers and even employees too better understand what are the trends in the marketplace, where would they want to work? 
So it's not only an employer-driven report, but it also provides a lot of good details for people who are looking for work. How much should I expect to get paid and what's the extent of employers in the area? Really good distinction because one of the key challenges that a lot of companies have is they're competing not only with their competitors across the street, they're competing for tech talent against tech companies, but vice versa as well. So I'm glad you brought that up and putting that in perspective, are companies that are not tech companies at a massive disadvantage or what are you finding in that case? What was really interesting that we found in the 2022 report and how the pandemic has impacted labor market trends pretty dramatically, we saw a distinct shift in the industries that are employing tech talent, the specific tech talent occupations that were most in demand, and the geography of where people are being hired. So by industry, we saw the tech industry hire the most uh, tech talent in 2021. And that really dates back to once the pandemic started, we all had to go remote. We were sequestered to our homes and search in your case to your basement. And so everything shifted online that led to a huge hiring boom by the tech industry because they had to provide enhanced products and services. And that has continued up until most recently where there has been a little bit of headwinds as the economy is starting to slow. So we saw the tech industry account for 80% of all the tech talent hiring. And then more specifically, when you looked at the occupations, the number one in-demand role was software engineers by far. So when you look at the total hiring, there are more software engineers hired than all other tech talent combined. So that was the number one occupation. Did you see a difference with software engineers when it came to senior talent and entry-level talent? Was there some difference in what the data showed? What the data really tells us is it, it was really more across the board. But when you look at new hiring, oftentimes it's going to be on the less experienced because that's where the largest supply of new tech Mm -hmm. talent enters the marketplace. But there's also a lot of reshuffling around more senior people, switching companies, switching industries, because there's so much demand in tech. Many people came from outside of tech to work for tech companies, especially when they had expertise around a particular topic area. Like let's just say if it was logistics or tech company needed more of that or different kinds of things really change the landscape. So you touched on something, and I know you've got lots to say about this. You talked about geography. When I first started digging into, well, who's CBRE? Why would you be doing this sort of research when I would think you've got a vested interest in making sure that people who buy commercial real estate can have their bodies in their location? But there's been this distinct shift that you talked about the work from home, remote, what you're seeing or what your research showed. How is that impacting organizations who have a huge investment in real estate? It's really, I think, open up the talent field to employers throughout North America and for that matter, globally. And geographically as well, it had also shifted the concentration of hiring away from the headquarters markets to a more distributed geographical where they actually are hiring people. 
And I would say the one country that is seeing the greatest benefits from this has been Canada. Canada has been at the top of our list in terms of the amount of growth in terms of total jobs as well as percentage in 2021. And that's been dominated by Vancouver and Toronto. And so as we dug into that and tried to find out why, there's a couple of aspects related to that. Number one, that Canada has been producing very high quality tech talent because of its universities at a relatively low cost compared to the US. And so there's this huge benefit for US companies to hire in Canada. Now that gap has certainly closed over the years, but Canada still represents a tremendous value for what you get for your money. And that's had a huge impact on Canada in terms of hiring. And then the second thing that we also noticed as we looked into some of the data was that the immigration policies in Canada has certainly enhanced the ability for that growth to occur because a good portion of that growth has come from international immigration. And the Canadian data suggests that a large portion of that is coming from India. Mm. Do you see that changing? Obviously, it's very much based on what the geopolitic environment is in the U.S. If we go back in history, is there a dramatic difference if the Democrats or the Republicans are in power when it comes to immigration? Yeah, that is certainly possible. If we look at over time, politics have changed, but the immigration policy has been something that's created a lot of gridlock. And not a whole lot of changes occurred on that end. So I'm hopeful that the U.S. would have more, I would say, accommodative immigration because we do need more tech workers here. And similarly with Canada as well, it just has a better leveling of the playing field because there are a lot of Canadians who have been working in the U.S. and have returned home during the pandemic. And that's also been a boost to the amount of employment in Canada. When we talk about what we would call underrepresented groups when it comes to getting employment in multiple sectors and the shift to tech talent, what did your study find when it came to those particular groups? Yeah, so when it comes to diversity, it's pretty well known that there is an issue within the tech industry and for tech talent employers. So when you look at the data, what it tells you is that there are four underrepresented groups in tech talent, that would be Hispanic, Black, non-Asian, non-whites, and the most underrepresented group in tech talent are females. Women. Yeah. For sure. That, that is something that's pretty much across the board. And so the tech employers have been very aware of this and have been making very proactive efforts to try to change this and to increase that diversity. But every time you think about it, that diversity is demographics and demographics change slowly over time. And diversity in tech is changing for the better, but that change is slow. But with remote work and the ability to reach a lot of underrepresented, underserved communities, that's provided a boost to the ability to increase the diversity of your workforce. And we've seen a lot of proactive efforts in that start to occur. But again, It's not something that's going to change overnight because we also look at what is the diversity for people who are studying tech in colleges? Is that dramatically different than the existing workforce? And the answer to that question is that it is more diverse, but it's only slightly more diverse. So that would tell you it's going to take time for diversity to change. 
But nonetheless, proactive efforts on the part of employers and remote work will only accelerate that process. What are we seeing when it comes to the different generations of, say, the Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, and Baby Boomers? Are we seeing migrations by one particular generation more than the other? Is there a particular area that they're focused on moving to? Did your study find anything on those? So what we did find is that the tech employers and particularly the tech industry skews a lot younger. And a part of that has to do with, you know, they're trying to hire people who are recent graduates, and that's really where the most amount of growth is. But they're also trying to hire people with the most recent expertise around tech. But during the pandemic, especially the Gen Zs, who have very rarely, and some maybe not at all, been into their actual company offices. Yeah. So that's a very unique type of situation. And I would say the group uh, within tech talent that probably had the most amount of migration were the millennials, because many of them had been working, may have relocated from one market to another, and during the pandemic ended up moving back to their hometowns or closer to where their friends and family were. Or some of them just became nomadic and decided this is a great opportunity to travel wherever it is that I wanted to, because I could just plug in and work from anywhere. So there was a lot of that going on. But we've also seen, I would say in the last, in maybe six to 12 months, a a lot of returns where people are starting to come back to the markets in which they have been employed. That's not to say that they're all rushing back into their office workplaces because they enjoy this newfound flexibility. Yeah, that was the question I was wanting to ask as well, because We know from the job advertising side of this equation that when companies advertise their jobs as remote, they get substantially better quality applicants and volume of applicants. And I get it, especially if you are at an age where you've got a young family and you've now had this new opportunity to balance and work from home. Did your study talk or delve into or show any insights into organizations who have taken this hard line of everybody back into the office? Well, a couple of things that we did study is we looked at remote job advertisements. What percent of the total tech talent jobs that were posted and offered remote work as an option? And that number went from 4% to 24% over the course of the pandemic, with July of this year being our latest reading at 24%. So that's a dramatic increase. What that is telling you is that virtually every employer has had to offer this to remain competitive. If you're not doing it, then you're going to have a tough time competing for this talent. What's interesting, and again, this is anecdotally because data is kind of hard to come by. So even though you could say roughly a quarter of all these roles are offering remote work where you don't have to come into the office at all, from some conversations, and you guys may know some of this as well, is that I would suspect a decent portion of these roles are probably filled by somebody within the geography. They just don't want to have to be tethered to that physical office. Because when you look at where the large amount of workforces are and the amount of new hiring that's being done, it can't possibly be so distributed across the entire country. It may be that I'm here taking a remote job from a San Francisco employer and I live down in Silicon Valley, which is an hour and a half commute during normal times. I just don't want to have to do that, but I do want to be able to come into the office on my own terms periodically to collaborate with my colleagues. 
That definitely makes sense. Generally, people, as they're going to school or decide what they want to do, they're going to go where the jobs are. And there is a percentage, like you said, that moved away. They decided, I'm going to move somewhere in the country and it doesn't matter where I am. But I do think you're completely right that the majority of those are fairly close to the office. Commutable distance. Yeah, yeah, commutable distance. One of the things that I'm curious here, though, is how are companies reacting to this? Here in Calgary, our downtown vacancy rate for business is at all-time highs. How do companies adjust with all this real estate space and, and putting people in these spaces than wanting to work remote, even if they live in the same city? Yeah, what's been really interesting that there's been a different dynamic really across North America as to how this has played out. Theoretically, if most of these tech employers are only going to require their employees to be in, in the office two or three days per week, logically, that would tell you that they would need less office space for the amount of employees that they had at one point in time. But keeping in mind that over the course of the pandemic, they've hired a lot of people. So there's more employees out there and few of them have actually expanded the amount of office space that they have compared to where they were in the end of 2019. So those employers that hired a lot of employees have generally held the line on the amount of office space that they currently have. They may end up realizing that they have too much. Some may realize that they don't have enough or they don't have the right type because as with remote work, The configurations of these spaces need to be a lot more collaborative than having a lot of head down space for your desk to do your quiet time work. So there's still a lot of uncertainty around that. But the second interesting aspect, and this is particular to San Francisco, just because we have a very high concentration of firms who decided that they were going to go remote first, which doesn't mean they don't have an office but they certainly need a much smaller office and most of their employees can work remotely for the vast majority of the time. And many of these companies, products and services that they do for their business support remote working, hybrid type working. And so they're actually demonstrating why their products and services are so important. So if you're a cloud company, If you have collaboration software, those types of things, you should be demonstrating how well your products and services work. So a lot of them are concentrated in the city of San Francisco, which is why our vacancy rate probably rose the most out of any city in North America, where we went from about 5% to 25%. It's not the highest vacancy in the country, but it's probably the biggest rise that we've seen. So going through your report, it ranks the top 75 tech markets. And a lot of them, I wasn't surprised in seeing them, but where I saw surprises in the biggest gainers. You mentioned Canada earlier and Calgary was one of the cities that saw a significant increase. And we're seeing that firsthand. But looking at the US, I was surprised to see markets like Dallas, Fort Worth, Milwaukee, never associated those markets with any type of tech talent. You make assumptions, right? Before you're actually running the data and what it shows, but were you surprised by the results? Every year, there's always some surprises in the report. And I'll tell you that Dallas moving up four spots is a bit of a surprise, not a huge surprise, because we've heard over the years, many tech employers opening up new offices in Dallas that tap into that market because it's a fairly large market for tech talent. And there's a lot of universities, not only within the Dallas region, but within that Texas area of Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, all 
relatively close. So there's a big talent pool that you can tap into there. We've also heard a lot about Miami. We call it South Florida in our report that, you know, a lot of tech companies are moving there. And the reality on the ground is that it is occurring. Is it probably overblown a little bit compared to what's happening? Yeah, it is. But that market also moved up pretty substantially because it's always been a hotbed for tech companies to have their Latin American headquarters in that particular market. And a lot of people migrated there during the pandemic, many of them temporarily, but certainly Florida in general has seen a huge influx of people. And I would say the more unsurprising results is that the top five markets didn't really change. San Francisco Bay Area, Seattle, Toronto, Washington, DC, and New York. But Toronto did move up one spot to number three, and it replaced Washington, DC as the number three market. You mentioned a couple of things and California and Texas have been very fascinating to watch because in the HR tech space, Texas has become the key market, specifically Austin, where it used to be San Francisco based. Are you seeing any data of a lot of migration of California to Texas? There certainly is a substantial amount of migration into Texas from California, although the vast majority of the migration in California is usually within California and sort of outside of major central cities to the surrounding suburbs, where we see a lot of those moves. The city of San Francisco had pretty substantial out-migration. Most of those people went to the surrounding suburbs, Mm. or in a lot of cases, because the Bay Area has a lot of headquarters companies here, and a lot of people have come from outside of the Bay Area to work here, they went back to their hometown. So we saw Southern California being a huge recipient of people who left the city of San Francisco, Seattle, and many other places. Most of it was for a logical region. I mentioned that some people chose to be nomadic, but most of them went back to friends and family. But Texas has been a destination and many of the headquartered companies in California have decided to open up substantial presences or at least change their physical headquarters address, I call it that, because most of the companies that said, oh, we're moving to Austin, it's not like they went and uprooted the 10, 20, 30,000 people they employ in the Bay Area and moved them there. Mm -hmm. I know nobody's got a crystal ball. And I, for one, love looking at what does the data tell us? I think the story is still being written about post-COVID. But based on the solid data that you have, is there anything that your insights can give to employers as far as what to keep a lookout for in 2023, potential disruptions based on data? What are you seeing? I would say in all the years that we've been doing this report and even looking back a little bit further that the tech talent employment has been pretty stable regardless of economic times. Yeah. I'll give you one example. We've been following tech layoffs very closely mm-hmm. since the start of the pandemic and then sort of dropped it in 2021 as it didn't become an issue. But mm-hmm. now it's become an issue again in 2022. And then when we analyze the data of who was actually laid off by the positions at the tech companies, in 2022, we found that 80% of the people laid off were non-tech talent employees. So when you hear these big layoff numbers and you look at the details of who got laid off, it's typically going to be sales, HR, support type functions. Tech employers are very reluctant to lay off their technical staff 
because that's really fundamental to their business and their long-term innovation. That's not to say that they don't, because there certainly have been companies that have done so, and maybe they have different projects that people are working on. With that, what I would really say is that the labor market for tech talent is going to remain tight going forward. But I do think it is going to loosen up as the rate of hiring continues to slow from many of these larger tech employers and more graduates enter the workforce as we're getting to a more normalized college education system as opposed to the COVID system where some people took a pause and their graduation rates went down. I think we'll see that. The other thing we're also will see is an increased focus on tech talent quality. Yeah. Also productivity of employees, which we've heard a little bit about that coming out of some of the large tech employers, because they're much more focused on the bottom line as their top line revenues growth is starting to slow. They're more focused on who their employees are, how productive they're doing, what are they contributing? That will become a much more important issue as we're going forward. And then I would say finally that more tech workers will continue to return to their offices as time goes on. They may hopefully find that being there in person, collaborating with their coworkers is going to be much more fulfilling in terms of what they're doing, increase their own job satisfaction, increase their productivity. And with that slow growth over time, that's going to set us up for the next growth cycle, which we probably think is going to be the second half of 2023, because we do have some potentially tough economic times coming up here in the next six to nine months. Wow, that's a lot. And here's one thing I do know, Colin, from my 25 plus years of being in talent acquisition. What's most alarming to me is when I see grad rates drop. Because I know what that creates, even if it might have been just a small pause, we may see it five years from today, because tech is obviously changing so quick in current skills. But if you stop that flow of employee development or training, whether it's grad rates from micro learning or graduation rates from major tech schools and universities, that slow sets off alarm bells for me. So thank you for this. One interesting thing that you brought up there, Shelly, too, is that new tech talent entering the market doesn't always come from universities, that there is a lot of tech talent that enters the workforce from non-tech occupations through the training programs, boot camps. So that's a huge resource for people to shift their careers and something that I think a lot of employers are looking at and trying to encourage. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to leave on this last question. You see it across North America. Everyone's trying to become the next major tech hub. Any advice to a city that is looking to attract business and attract talent? What advice would you give to them? I think when tech employers look at where they want to be located, they generally look at the quality and the size of the tech talent workforce. What does the educational pipeline look like in terms of bringing new workers into that market? Those are two of the very most important aspects. Then it starts to go toward looking at what is the business environment for employers? And then what is the real estate environment for employees? Is the housing affordable? Is it a high quality of life area for people to want to live? Those are all really important aspects. And I would say, 
One other thing that's really important that sometimes cities or jurisdictions may overlook is what expertise do you have outside of the tech industry? I'll give you a couple of examples. One is that you think about Detroit as being an automotive city. Well, what's getting more tech than cars, right? So that expertise in in the automobile engineering production business is a huge attractor for tech companies. Mm -hmm. Similarly, New York and Charlotte being very high financial services type locations, expertise in that field is a huge benefit to tech companies. There's these sort of benefits that that you got to think beyond just the technical aspects that these communities may have. Absolutely. Colin, this has been fantastic information. I really appreciate you sharing this. For anyone that wants to read this report, where can they go to uh, download this? Google CBRE Tech Talent, and that should take you right to the 2022 report. So cbre.com tech talent. And the link will be in the show notes. Colin, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way of doing that? They can reach out to me via email or they can direct message me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to engage with you. This is a you know 140 page report, a lot of data in there, and hopefully you can use it. Perfect. Thanks again. Really appreciate having you on uh, the recruitment flex. Absolutely loved it. Thank you, Colin. Thank you all as well. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.